0: Well, welcome everybody. We are glad to be here at the chapel. A few uh, brave souls uh, brave the, the weather and they're and here. So that's good. And I I'll number online. So good that we can get together tonight and uh, open God's word. So I'm going to read uh, Galatians chapter 1 uh, to begin, starting in a new series. We started the new series in 2 Corinthians on Sunday, and we're into Galatians here for the next couple of months on our Tuesday evening. So I'll read uh, chapter one uh, before we get started. Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor what it was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Let's pray before we start. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for bringing uh, some of us here safely tonight. We thank you for the blessing of your word once again, the opportunity to read it, to uh, meditate on it. And Lord, we pray that you teach us from it tonight, Lord. Uh, Pray that all that's said and done would be for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I am a bit like Benton. I can't speak and press buttons at the same time, So, but I am going to try just for a little bit to just uh, right at the beginning and right at the end have a few slides for us. So being the first one to speak on Galatians, I thought I would do a little bit of a review. And I'm sure most of you are aware that Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul. We just read that and was written to the churches in Galatia. Now there's some dispute in terms of what or where Galatia was, where these churches were. I think initially people felt that uh, it it was a place in a, there's a large Northern plateau that was inhabited by the Gauls and people thought that there were churches up there that perhaps weren't spoken of in uh, the various missionary journeys that we read about in the book of Acts. but More recently, I think about the 1800s, a new theory came out that's perhaps more widely held now, and that is that this area um, where several of the cities that Paul did minister to, Antioch, Iconian, Lystra, and Derby, are within this area that was actually a Roman province called Galatia, so they weren't Gauls but were Uh, was a Roman province that was called Galatia. But regardless, I don't think it matters too much. It was written to some churches that were in Galatia, wherever that might have been. And it's certainly written to us today as uh, people living 2,000 years later. So I thought um, I always liked Jonathan's little word clouds. I don't know if any of you like word clouds, but um, I thought I, I did a little word cloud on the book of Uh, Galatians, and it gives us a little bit of a picture um, on the book, if I can make this thing turn. Oh, one, one, two, five. Okay. So there's a word cloud of Galatians, if you can see that. And it gives us a bit of a sense of uh, some of the subjects uh, that are dealt with uh, in the book. And, you know, as you look at that picture, you can see certain words which really I guess, would relate to the Old Covenant, words like law, circumcision, works, flesh, slave. And then perhaps some words that uh, are also prominent, which relate to much more the New Covenant. Jesus, Christ, faith, grace, gospel, and free would be some uh, prominent words. I think this is helpful in us setting out the, the, the content of the book. Um, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the book, but uh, the book of in the book of Galatians, um, we understand that, and even in the in Benton's message the other day, we we read from the book of Acts that Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. I believe it was in chapter nine of Acts where um, after his is uh, the Lord speaking to him on the road to Damascus. uh, It was revealed that he had a message for him to bring to the Gentiles. And so as Paul preached to these churches, uh, certainly the question came up, was there any uh, of the law that these new Gentile believers needed to keep? And should they be keeping any of the law? Should they be keeping certain aspects of the law, perhaps circumcision as being part of the Jewish covenant? And was the gospel just an extension of what uh, the law uh, provided, or is it something entirely new? And certainly as we read through the book of Acts, we read through the other epistles, it's very clear that Paul in all of his writings that he consistently preached a um, pure, what I'd refer to as a pure gospel, a gospel that uh, is based on salvation, uh, on, based on the finished work of Jesus Christ, faith in that finished work of Jesus Christ, and that law-keeping had no part in that gospel. But as Paul had you know, being on this missionary journey, they had accepted this, this message. And he had reports had come back to him that this or these Galatian churches had fallen away uh, from this gospel. They had abandoned this gospel and that various teachers from Jerusalem had come along and were suggesting that things needed to be added to what Paul had taught. And that faith in Jesus Christ was not sufficient for salvation. And so really this book is Paul's response to him hearing about this falling away and this heresy that had been brought to these Galatian churches. And so I just jotted down seven items that sort of encapsule what this book is about. And we'll just very briefly run through those so the first justification by faith and i think the first screen that i put up said that this was sort of the book of the reformation and, and very much you know the book of galatians the book of romans were very instrumental in um, luther and others in realizing that uh, the church had gone well off track in terms of uh, a works-based gospel etc um so Justification by faith is certainly a key component of the book of Galatians, freedom in Christ. Um, And certainly Paul would contrast freedom in Christ with the bondage that comes from the law and that we as Christians need to live in the power of the Holy Spirit rather than being burdened by this law that had been given and was really there to show us um, our need of salvation and our inability to keep the law. Grace versus the law, Paul contrasts the grace of God um, and stresses the salvation that comes through God's love and unmerited favor rather than us trying to please him by keeping certain standards or rules. The crucifixion or the death of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is emphasized throughout the book. The cross and Christ's work on the cross uh, for salvation, for the propitiation of our sins is very key. Sanctification through obedience that comes from faith. So we're not saved by good works, but we're saved to do good works and that uh, sanctification work uh, is a result of the Holy Spirit's work in our life once we put our trust in him. The importance of unity in Christ. Um, really, the book emphasizes the equality of all believers, um, men, women, um, slave, free, and particularly a Jew and Gentile. There's no difference that uh, God's saving grace uh, is for each and every person and we're all at the same level before jesus christ and have the same needs and have the same offer of salvation and then the warning against legalism which uh, had crept in obviously here and the legalistic mindset that um, so many of the jews had as a result of the law and trying to keep the law so that's sort of a brief outline, but there's also, uh, the, the book is somewhat structured around, I think, three accusations that had been leveled against the Apostle Paul. And the first one was that he was not a true apostle. There was certainly true apostles, the 12 that the Lord had uh, chosen, and that Paul was, was was not a real apostle. And so Paul really, chapters 1 and 2 Uh, He takes time to carefully refute that. The second accusation is that the gospel that he was preaching was really insufficient and that he had no authority to set aside the law and that God was only pleased when certain uh, aspects of the law were still kept. So Paul refutes that in chapters three and four, essentially. And then the third accusation, would be that it was that the law was necessary for people to keep good lives or to live good lives that outside of this law that we had was set before us and that we had a b and c to keep uh we would live immoral lives whereas he deals with this by saying that you know we when we put our faith in jesus christ we have the indwelling of the holy spirit that we um we are given the power to live good lives through the power of the Spirit. And um, this, this uh, assertion is really made in chapters 5 and 6. So it's sort of a, a bit of a, there's three broad accusations, it would seem, based on what Paul's saying throughout the book. And chapter 1 and 2 deal with the first, chapter 3 and 4 with the second, and chapters 5 and 6 deals with that third one. So that's sort of the overview, and I think I'm... So I put up just a few notes. I'm not gonna turn any more slides till the end, but there's sort of seven points that I wanna talk about that are brought up in chapter one of the book. So, from the outset, it's fairly apparent that Paul—it's a little bit of a different book than all the other Pauline epistles um, or the Book of Acts—in that Paul, there's—he gets sort of right down to the meat of things. He doesn't commend the Galatian churches at all. He doesn't pray for them. He sort of sets right into it and. His first uh, thing that he states is that he is an apostle. And this is an extremely important thing as we think about it. Certainly for the Galatian church, if they were going to listen to what Paul had taught and not listen to those who the detractors or those who were trying to lead them astray, they needed to realize and be convinced that he was a true apostle and likewise for us like if we don't believe that paul was a true apostle we we have a lot of our scripture that we need to kind of tear the pages out of so it's certainly important issue and why should the the uh galatian church just listen to him um so again benton you uh helped us out on sunday and you told us what an apostle was uh a sent one and there really are two categories of, uh, categories might be a wrong wording, but there's the 12 apostles that were clearly spoken of uh, or chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But then there's several, many other peoples that are spoken of as apostles, Paul being one, Barnabas, Titus and others. And certainly the, the 12 apostles had a unique position. They had all spent three years living with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Acts or Ephesians chapter two talks about them uh, of being as being the foundation of the church, with Christ being the cornerstone. And um, however, there the Scripture does set out qualifications. Uh, in First Corinthians nine, it talks about having one who has seen the resurrected Christ. In Acts uh, chapter nine, it talks about. They need to be explicitly chosen by God and also the ability to perform miracles and signs and Paul would have met all of these requirements. He was clearly chosen by God on, on the road to Damascus. He um, in a very real way witnessed the risen Lord Jesus Christ on that in that experience. And uh, was clearly chosen by God with a specific pers- purpose that was laid out um, to Ananias and to him, obviously. And he also clearly had the ability to perform many wonders. And so clearly he was an apostle, but I just wanted to maybe divert a little bit. And I I've found it very interesting Um and very compelling when we think of Paul and Peter and, and in the next chapter of Galatians, we read of Paul and Peter uh, butting heads somewhat, but they were two uh, key pillars of the church. And I just wanted to draw our attention to Second Peter chapter 3, where Peter speaks about Paul and sort of adds his stamp to the apostle, uh, him being a true apostle. And in Second uh, Peter chapter or, uh, three, verses fourteen to sixteen, Peter, at this point in time, is uh, talking about how we should live in light of uh, the soon coming return of Christ. And he says, "So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation." just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. So this is a situation we know that Paul and Peter conferred. Later in this chapter, we realize they spent 15 days together. But they were were both uh, zealous men uh, seeking to serve the Lord, but in, in this little passage that we read, clearly Peter saw Paul as someone who was a fellow minister of the gospel, who clearly uh, was um, speaking God's truth and uh, basically confirming uh, who he was and that, that uh, we should be listening to him just as much as, uh, as himself, that he was a true apostle. So after establishing his true apostleship, Paul begins extend, to extend, begins by extending grace and peace to the Galatian believers. And I think it's important to know that our peace as believers only is possible through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We know that we cannot come to God in any other way, and it's only by knowing that it's his work and not ours that we can have peace both in our minds but also that god offers us peace because of of the work of jesus christ and that he sees us in him again paul drives at the point in verse 4 christ gave himself for our sins and this is obviously such an important thing For us as believers, the Holy One of God died in our place to deliver us from our sin. And um, there is only deliverance through Jesus Christ. There's no deliverance through keeping of law. There's no deliverance in things that we can or try to do. It's only through that finished work, as Paul would say in verse 4. And so as we get into verse 6, there's a real shock that Paul expresses at the fact that they have, they've turned away from the message, the gospel that he had preached to them. And they had accepted what was, was a false gospel, or what he said was no gospel at all. And Paul speaks extremely strongly. He says it twice that anybody who preaches any other gospel except for the true gospel is accursed of God and you know he he repeats that twice and it's obviously a very serious thing for us to consider and uh he was speaking very powerfully to this church in Galatia but to us as well and so it just brings to mind the fact that we have to be very uh careful and protective of the the true and pure gospel not a a diminished gospel not a prosperity gospel not a you know, I think of a partial gospel as a God is love gospel. Well, that's a partial gospel. Um, God is certainly love, but God calls us to repentance and to put our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ for salvation of our souls. And so I think we want to be very careful as a church and within um, our own lives that we are holding on to that pure and perfect, wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ, that there's nothing to add or take away from it. It would appear in verse 11 that Paul is trying to refute refute this accusation that he was a a people pleaser and not a man pleaser. And in some of the commentaries I read, a a lot of the commentators thought that perhaps Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 9 for being used against him as him being a man pleaser. And I'll just read a few of those verses in 1 Corinthians 9. It says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessing. So we don't know if that specifically was what uh, these people were leveling against him, but It would seem to me if his accusers were using this passage to claim Paul's propensity to please man rather than God, they certainly are taking this statement out of context. Um, I think we would agree that Paul was, I guess, practical in his approach to preaching the gospel. Uh, We see him... Being very practical, I know an example of when he was speaking uh, to the philosophers in Athens, uh, Mars Hill, he used some various examples. He would uh, perhaps use different d- deliveries, different methods of bringing up the gospel or whatever, but throughout uh, his the book of Acts, whenever we see him presenting the gospel, there was... Nothing that would suggest that he was there to please man, uh, but in fact, pleasing God. And in many cases, this led to a lot of hardship and persecution. And <clears throat> so he counters that by saying that the only reason he was preaching the gospel that he was preaching was that he, it was directly from Christ. And that he that he had not been taught it by any other man, not by any of the other apostles, um, that it was not something that he had made up or any human had made up, but he had received it directly by revelation from Christ. And then he really goes to drive home that point by saying that the only possible source of his miraculous change was that he had seen the resurrected christ um and we know what paul was like prior to his conversion and certainly it was an incredible conversion experience and he suggests that here he was zealous for the law he was prideful in his attitude which kept him pursuing god uh, through his outward actions and the only thing that would have led him to a 180-degree turn from that was this revelation and this appearance of the Lord to him, and this um, resulted his in his conversion going from someone who was absolutely a works-based person uh, trying to please God through works to someone who was trying to please uh, God by preaching the gospel but having been saved by that gospel himself, realizing that he he had no ability to save himself and that he'd been saved by the finished work of Christ. Paul is also um, very much trying to tell the Galatians that his apostleship wasn't based on the approval of the Jerusalem church or the other apostles, that it was given specifically to him and that he had a specific calling to the to the gentiles and one of the things he points out is that he didn't initially go up to Jerusalem you know some people would have thought well if he if, if he should have gone up to Jerusalem but he had this clear conversion he seems to have spent several years in arabia and It seems that at this point in time, he spent uh, sort of one-on-one time with the Lord. We're not exactly certain of uh, of that. There's uh, an indication that that would be the case, but he seems to have spent a long period of time, perhaps three years being spoken to uh, and preparing him for the ministry that lay ahead. After Sort of establishing his independence from the other apostles, Paul then states that um, he, you know, spent this long time seemed seemed sort of a wilderness situation, apart from others, being spoken to by God. And then, at that point, he went up to Jerusalem and spent 15 days with Peter. And as verse 18 would suggest, these 15 days. not to be taught any specific thing necessarily but it says in verse 18 to be acquainted with peter obviously they were uh, servants of the lord it would would uh, be good for them to have this interaction i'm sure it was hugely interesting for both of them i'm thinking particularly for paul speaking to one who had spent three years one-on-one with the lord but um We don't know exactly what it was, but they got acquainted and then continued to do the work that God had set each one of them to do. As we get into verse 20, Paul sort of makes an oath, and he wants to, I guess, just really confirm the fact that all that he is saying is true, and I would suggest that he needed to do this because, again, there, there were people who were telling him or saying the contrary, that he really should have been under the supervision of the, of the apostles in Jerusalem, and that he had no right to be speaking sort of on his own outside of their authority. And then paul uh, verse twenty one sort of denies his any personal involvement in the Church of Jerusalem uh, saying that he went to Syria and Cilicia after he first his first visit and that he wasn't uh, involved in that church and that God had called him uh, to a separate issue but it's it's interesting as as we get to the end of the chapter that the he uses the judean church to really strengthen his position and so the judean church would have been at one point being persecuted by paul we know that paul was going from place to place house to house persecuting the church and the judean church would have been well aware of this man and afraid of him and it's interesting that uh in verse 23 Speaking about the Judean Church, they only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. And so we see that Paul again um, is preaching the gospel. The word is getting around that he's preaching this gospel. And those who he had formerly persecuted are now affirming that what he is doing is is good and right, and they're praising God because of it. And so, again, Paul in this first chapter is really trying to establish the facts that he is a true apostle, that uh, he's been sent, he's a messenger of God, God had spoken to him very directly, he was speaking a gospel independent of the Jerusalem church, and that uh, he was being used powerfully to basically turn the tables on what he had previously been doing and and uh, those who knew the lord were being were praising uh, the Lord because of this work in his life so so I just want to conclude with a few perhaps take homes from or practical take homes from this passage. So we need to be beware as a as a church. You know there was uh, people sowing confusion back in that day and age, and there's people who will continue to sow division in churches today. And we need to be vigilant against that type of attack, and we need to be careful and and thoughtful in how we. Uh, would refute uh, such attacks and, and simply need to keep to the pure gospel, as uh, Paul uh, was so vehement about here, that any distortion, any adding, subtracting from the pure gospel was um, was a, a terrible thing and, and the person needed to be accursed. And so any kind of watered-down gospel... Um, taking away from what is just the simple and beautiful truth of the gospel that uh, we have been presented in God's word um, must be, we must absolutely stay away from this. And and, it's, and as it says in, in the book, how, what a serious thing it, it is. And, and so I was thinking that, um, I think it's important within this local assembly that we keep, uh, obviously, the pure gospel, but even in our own personal lives, as we're interacting with others, we're sharing the gospel with others, the importance of holding to uh, a true, full, and pure gospel. It seems as though people were suggesting that uh, Paul was a a man-pleaser and not a God-pleaser, and it got me thinking a little bit along those lines, certainly, there's no evidence of that um, in anything that we read in Scripture that Paul was a, uh, a people-pleaser rather than a man-pleaser. But it would be good for us to ask us that same question. Are we people-pleasers or God-pleasers here? Read of you and also in our own life. And... If a similar similar accusation was made about us or in our personal lives or as a church, um, how would the evidence weigh out if people uh, were to consider what we were saying or doing here hopefully we would weigh out as God pleasers and not man pleasers and then as we see here clearly we see that you know the apostles, Peter, Paul, and others um, had a calling; had a calling on their lives. We see that that calling had a a pretty profound impact on the Apostle Paul, and that it created a 180-degree turn in his life. And uh, as we think about our own lives, we have been called in 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 a similar way to uh, perhaps. Different things, but Paul certainly knew what his calling was, and he sort of went straight forward and, and pursued that calling. And so, for us here tonight, what is our calling, and do we know what ours is, and are we pursuing it wholeheartedly as the, the Apostle Paul did? So, that's all I have for tonight, and I'll turn it back over to you, Jeff.